0: Unorthodox with the Angry Behavior Analyst is a relief valve for stifled thoughts, theories, and opinions related to social science. Unorthodox is unfiltered, uncensored, and most importantly, uncancelable. The Angry Behavior Analyst is all triggers, no warnings. Welcome back to part two with my husband, the former Jehovah's Witness and Gen Xer and myself, The pathetic millennial as, um, I guess, relatively compared to the standards. We're back in part two. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. So you left at age 17 Mm -hmm. from uh, from your mom's to go live with your dad. And by that point, your dad had already detached himself from the Jehovah's Witness religion. It
1: was called... Uh he disassociated himself. He
0: disassociated, so there was a very formal term yeah. for it. So is this similar to Amish culture where if you disassociate they don't allow you back in?
1: I have no idea. I just know that when you disassociate yourself, you have to write a specific letter of disassociation. Because mm-hmm. my dad was baptized and that's that's the huge difference. When you get baptized, um then you are considered a Jehovah's witness. So that's when they start calling you, you know, they would have called my dad, you know, brother, brother Hanksler, or, you know, if you were baptized, they would call you sister Perry. Hmm. Um, but my dad, if you wanted to disassociate yourself, he, you have to write a, a letter sign it and you send it to the Watchtower uh, Bible Track Society in New York. I don't even know if they still look, I, I don't know. Um, so once you disassociate yourself, then no one within the religion or within the congregation or any congregations is able to talk to you. So you're basically excommunicated.
0: So it is similar to Amish culture where
1: you can be excommunicated in in any religion, you know, some religions just like, oh, we're excommunicating them, but we're going to excommunicate them by stoning them to death,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is what happened, yeah, during biblical times. I mean, yeah, that's how people were killed. They were mm-hmm. stoned to death. Mm-hmm. Very violent, but very. Peaceful. But God loves but, but, you. But God loves you. Yeah, yeah. George Carlin.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: um, yeah. So, but yeah, so he he left. My mom stayed, and I think that was the. Um, yeah, I think that's what destroyed their marriage. My mom wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. My dad thought, like, "Wow, this is a, a lot of bullshit." I like, I'm, he's like a, a religion detector, you know. He's like a detective, and my mom wanted to stay, and he said, "Well, you can come with me, or I'm leaving." And there was a lot of other things that were going on. That's none of my business, but um, yeah, they started. Uh, Their relationship started to fall. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, my dad got a job in Texas, and my mom stayed um, in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And
0: And that was that.
1: It was, you know, a lot of religion, a lot of uh, church three three times a week, a lot of Mm door-to-door. And um, I was the older brother. I felt bad um, that I actually left. Why? Um, oh, because of my brother. He was only, what, eight.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So you left your mom's house and your brother stayed with your mom while you went with your dad. Yeah,
1: that's okay. how I got to Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm. And you felt bad because, do you think you felt I part feel of bad what- now. <laughs> Do you think part of why you feel bad now is because, in retrospect, as a latchkey kid, you were essentially Joel's, not caretaker, but you watched over him. Did you have a fear that he wouldn't be watched over or that he had to navigate that by himself?
1: No, I just felt bad because I know that he um, missed me. So.
0: Yeah. So Dylan is moving on as a teenager at this point into the 80s. And wouldn't you know it, we are in the millennial stage. Oh, God. Ah, 1981 to 1996, the beginning of the World Wide Web and the birth of devil spawns that were entitled beyond belief and they were attached to the media. What's your perception of millennials, first of all, Dylan?
1: Um, my God. (laughs) Pick anything for me. You pick. No, I'm asking you. Oh, um entitled
0: Mm -hmm. that the big e-word is the one that's this all-encompassing term it's very accurate too and i used to and when i say used to i mean recently my views were changed in a lot of the students i've been talking with i always felt like gen Z would be the substitution for millennials in their entitlement, that they reached uh, the highest peak of entitlement and narcissism and also laziness. And what I've seen is that I actually continue to find myself baffled with the outrageous displays of that in millennials, in people my age and a little bit older than me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're – I don't, I, well, I mean, your definition of, of being lazy, or the definition of lazy has to be, um, that's going to be different. My definition might be different from somebody else's, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, thinking about the time and effort that certain people of I guess that generation and my generation, like we didn't grow up like, oh we're Gen Xers. We we, we didn't give a shit about that. Now it's you know it's it's coming back around. Mm-hmm. But I view it as if you have this much time to bitch <laughs> about how everything is so wrong. And how you are so unhappy and how you're so (laughs) oppressed or whatever the hell that means anymore. Mm -hmm. You have time to better yourself in life. You know, you can work more. Mm -hmm. You can get a second job. Like, you just have too much time on your hands. Why why are you spending, you know, Mm -hmm. 15 hours a day? on the computer bitching about, like, how you're not getting, you know, what's – you are rightly deserved.
0: Well, Why well especially you do it. Yeah. Especially now we, we've always, we just, dis, we discussed that the American dream for Americans was in a lot of ways, almost grandfathered in. Yeah. Whereas with millennials, we grew up with the internet and we have even more opportunity and technological advances at our disposal that could make it that much easier to find work, to find, I guess, fulfillment, to attain some sort of achievement. Yet we seem more focused on trying to dismantle, hate that word, dismantle society to the point that it ruptures entirely. And then the, the, I feel like millennials actually want the government to come in and, and reconstruct everything if they've dismantled society enough.
1: Yeah, I think every generation wanted that. So this is to a degree. No, I think everybody did. So this is not like, oh, we're we're the only ones thinking about this. Like, no, this happened.
0: Yeah, it's not original. This is
1: not original. I mean, we've always thought that. And that's what's getting passed down. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we don't communicate. We don't have face. okay. so millennials don't talk face to face unless, you know, you're with your friends, Mm -hmm. you know.
0: Um, and even then, <laughs> and
1: I, well, I told you, I'm like, that. and I told my son, who's 21. I said, if you're able to at least stop using acronyms, uh, stop texting what you want to talk about and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I even go so far as like, I started off with like, you need to talk to someone face to face. Yeah. yeah, like nobody wants to do that anymore, mm-hmm. in my opinion, or they're afraid to because, like, oh, that's an awkward conversation. I'm like, what? What's wrong with an awkward conversation?
0: Yeah, I don't, I why don't is it that. something that needs to be avoided? We
1: all you need awkward conversations. Yeah, in order to even get, in my opinion, to get you know whatever you're doing to get farther up that totem pole, we we have lost that. Everything now is through a text, through TikTok, through Twitter, through Instagram. Emails, like that shit gets lost in translation. You can't see the person's expression. You you know, you lose the gestures, uh, and which is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they even have like conversation courses anymore. I mean, as a witness, I had to, that was part of our religion that I had to get up and talk in front of 300 people wait once a month
0: i yeah so when i was in high school or actually you know what it was i think it started in middle school when it was a requirement that public speaking be part of the curriculum and we need to pass a public speaking course to graduate from middle school. In high school, it was the same exact thing. I even had public speaking requirements in college. I've always loved public speaking, so it was never an issue. But we see now that, and millennials, there's a, there's an ongoing running joke that, please text me, I'm a millennial and I hate answering the phone. What? Yes. it's it, We almost take pride in it that I'm too anxious. I'm a millennial. Please don't call me. And I think that's embarrassing.
1: It's, I think it's stupid.
0: I think it's stupid too. And with, it
1: has nothing to do with by where you fit in in the human generation race. You need to be able to talk and. It's going to come back around. There, yeah, no the doubt. title
0: will have to turn. There's no way to sustain how we think we're communicating right now. And to answer your question, sorry that I skipped over when you said, are there even conversation courses anymore? Nowadays, there are not because they've all been replaced with Don't worry about your burnout. It's just perfectionism. And it's because, uh, you know, your self-care routine is not intact. So it's all of these outsourcing of responsibilities that have nothing to do with communication. So nobody's working on their communication skills. But millennials are also simultaneously obsessed with the fact that they feel like they're just too anxious and overwhelmed to
1: actually work. Well, this is why... UIC is on strike.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. Me and Dylan just learned about this the other day because yeah. his uh, his son goes to UIC.
1: Yeah, so Sammy is um, finishing up his junior year. He started off at Ohio State, but that was during the the kind of the pandemic, and he couldn't go to class, so he was you know getting crazy, losing his mind, just being in his dorm all the time. So he transferred to UIC uh, closer to home, and now they're on strike.
0: The professors.
1: The professors are on strike. UIC, University of Illinois Chicago, are literally on strike um, because the faculty, obviously, they want uh, a raise, but they want more awareness and more um, money to be – um, I guess available to students, their college students, their graduate students, um, for support of their mental illness. And <laughs> I asked uh, my uncle, who is this is kind of his jam, he said, Oh, yeah, these. Students are claiming that they have mental illness because they're anxious Mm -hmm. and get sad and get depressed (laughs) because of the courses. Because of the course load. Because they have to actually study. (laughs) That's literally why they're on strike.
0: So no, no okay wait, wait clear this up. Yeah. So the teachers are on strike because they feel there isn't and there are not enough resources available to illness. these to these quote unquote mentally ill students mm-hmm. who are just overwhelmed because they have to study.
1: Yes, because they're under too much stress. The mm. students are, and that's adorable. I think that is. <laughs> I I mean I laugh and you know when I talk to my son about it he's like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and my, you know, my son gets anxious, but so did I. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you did.
0: Well, there's a difference between getting anxious, which is natural and normal, and then taking that anxiety and well, using it as it a
1: proportion. Yeah,
0: and using it as a crutch yeah, for everything. Right,
1: that's exactly what's happening. People are like, "Yeah, I can't come to work. I'm I'm too anxious. I'm
0: anxious. I need a, my tenth mental health day." So
1: this is how I see millennials.
0: Okay. So Millennials can, a few words and phrases may resonate with Millennials that are listening or anybody else for that matter. It is a very child-focused world. This arguably may be the conception of child-led parenting or gentle parenting. Um, school shootings started gaining a lot of uh, media attention. The There was 9-11, would that Actually, would that have happened after um, the millennials? Yeah. So the millennials, sorry, I got the age range wrong. 1981 to 1996 are millennials. So 9-11 um, would have happened after that. But I feel like the the rise and the attention brought to school shootings, do you think that had any part to play in why these parents – of millennials were so obsessed with always hovering over their children?
1: No, because if they were hovering over the children, um, I think in the school shootings, like Columbine, Mm -hmm. um... But Well, I mean, if, if you're hovering over your child, you're all, you know, you're always knowing what they do.
0: It's the helicopter parent. It's the
1: helicopter parents. So, yeah. And you know, I don't think it's generational now. I think that there's just some either cultural background or, you know, personalities um, within mm-hmm. the household, like, hey, I need to know, like, what you're doing at all times, you um,
0: you don't think that's more pervasive, though, in Millennials and beyond compared to, like, latchkey kids and even baby boomers?
1: No, because I, you know, I think the kids that, um, well, who was it uh, in the Columbine? Dylan was one of the names, and I forget the other one. It was but one of the shooters? Yeah. I the forget the too. Yeah, you can figure you know, you Yeah, can that, but his, their parents probably had to be... You know my age, mm-hmm. so yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know what the answer to that question is.
0: So how about let's let's maybe frame it this way. Okay. Do you think that millennials have grown up more sheltered than other generations?
1: Every generation, I think, has grown up more sheltered
0: than the previous. Since.
1: Um, the greatest generation or the silent generation. I think they're definitely more sheltered. They're given more and they want to keep giving more. And, um, you know, you lose that integrity of how am I going to make this? You know, what do you think about great, great, great grandparents that, you know, they lived in a shack
0: Mm -hmm. and they're like,
1: okay, we got to get the hell out of this country. And they find a way to where they think is a better place for them. And so they work their ass off and they continue to work their ass off. And then they want to put their kids through college and they still some work ethics. And, you know, that next um, generation of parents wants something better for for their kids. So they give them a little bit more. They try to instill, but they help them out. And it just it trickles down to. Yeah, I mean, we were spoiled. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah but I I agree about the, the, the fact that things might trickle down and perhaps each generation becomes more sheltered maybe because of cultural influences and more media attention being brought to certain things. I still think that helicopter parenting was – Uh, one of the core features of being a millennial versus previous generations
1: yeah well i mean i can understand that but that because it's been trickled down i think you see more things on social media that you're more aware of like all the crime everything that's going on and like oh my gosh you can't leave your kids out to you know to play um you know the old story like oh we had to come home when the street lights went on i mean that that was it you were gone yeah, all
0: parents were completely fine with day.
1: that. I told you, we weren't allowed to call each other's home. We had to wait till 7 o'clock a.m.
0: Yeah, my parents told us that too. Yeah,
1: don't call before 7. Mm-hmm. And then at 7 o'clock, the phones were ringing off the hook.
0: Mm-hmm. When but, people still had landlines. <laughs>
1: yes, right. Um, but like Sebastian says, like now all of these weirdos that are on the internet, they come out of the basement. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. What the hell is going on? And people are afraid. And
0: they're rightfully afraid. But but if you look at the rates of kidnapping and all of these things that parents were super fearful of, maybe in the 90s or the 80s or, or maybe decades before that, they're at lower rates now than they ever have been before.
1: It is what they see. It is what they hear. And it is what they watch that I think that. And that is What? What do you want to call that? Do you want to call that social media? Do you want to call that?
0: Let's just call it the media. The, okay, media. the media. Well, because the yeah. millennials were the first, with the with the World Wide Web actually coming to its conception in, in the millennial age, I forget what year it was. But if we use, you know, the um, Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape as the very first maybe um gift that came out of the world wide web, I think that's when a lot of fear started circulating amongst parents and that's when helicopter parenting really took off compared to generations before. So I'm gonna give us a little bit of a description of helicopter parenting really quick and then, cause I see you wanna say something.
1: Well, let me let me just integrate right now. Okay. okay. Who's more likely to be a helicopter parent you think the mother or the father the mother why
0: because a woman's biology i think influences their personality and because of the fact that they are more prone to neuroticism and they are more nurturing than men i think that they are susceptible to being that that tiger mom versus Mm -hmm. the father who's not necessarily detached from parenting but i feel like men have more confidence in their child's abilities to protect and advocate for themselves versus women. Okay. What do you think?
1: I was just asking you a question. That's all.
0: I I really appreciate that. I don't get asked questions very often. Thanks, babe. (laughs) Okay. Helicopter parenting and, and Greg Lukianoff, I've mentioned him several times. He talks about the coddling of the American mind and the culture of safetyism that we're currently in helicopter parenting is a term that paints a picture of a parent who literally, much like a helicopter, hovers over their children. They're always on alert. They swoop in to rescue kids from what they believe to be any single slight sign of trouble or even disappointment. So not only are they on constant high alert and they're hypervigilant to something like kidnapping, but they feel they need to intervene at a tear or a scraped knee. Would you agree that that's what a helicopter parent is? Yes.
1: You can also have helicopter wives. <laughs> you
0: certainly can.
1: Or whammy. husbands, for that <laughs> yeah. matter.
0: Anybody can be a helicopter. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, Bill Maher has a, a really funny little segment about helicopter parenting and how it's a bit sad that we even need to have a phrase for it.
1: So, this topic has been much in the news lately because there are now families going against the grain who want to raise their children, guided by the radical concept of occasionally letting them out of their sight. A movement that has been dubbed free-range parenting. (laughs) Or as we used to call it, parenting. Actually, We didn't even call it that because parenting wasn't a word because being a parent wasn't a job description. In the 70s, parenting meant you woke up, went to your kid's room. If they were alive, you were done for the day.
0: All right, helicopter parenting can be defined by three types of behavior that parents exemplify. Dylan, I wanna know if your parents exemplified any of these. First, Information seeking behavior. So parents needed to always know their their child schedule. This was the first generation of schedules for kids. So there was really no free range play. It was more about let's make let's schedule an activity for every single time slot. And these parents were overly concerned with uh, with grades and accomplishments.
1: So what's the question?
0: Were your does your did your parents fit that bill? No mine didn't either. (laughs) My mom, and I don't exactly know why she calls herself crazy for a, a multitude of reasons, but she was a very protective mom in a lot of ways. However, they never, and when I say they, I mean my mom and dad, they never forced us into, um, heavily densely packed schedules they did let us take our bikes out and ride around the neighborhood and kind of let us come home whenever so that was more unusual considering i was a millennial and my parents um a lot of other parents during that time were forcing their kids to you know
1: well your parents are the same age as, as my parents so yeah they're, they're boomers and you know my mom again uh, she instilled the the fear of god in us and it that had everything to do with religion not that that the, the jehovah's witnesses religion is bad but that was just our you know way of life i still don't think it's a cult it was just a way of life mm-hmm. um because of the morals and values that she brought us up with during that time um i think saved me from getting out of a lot of trouble um but (laughs) it was short-lived after i left because i got myself into trouble um so there but it wasn't like okay you know what you need to do this it wasn't like bible beating but it was more structure you know like hey you know what you need to have this done Mm -hmm. so i told you that we had or she had You know, it was inside the cupboard door. Mondays, this is what needs to be done before I get home. Tuesdays, this was, you know, and so we did have a schedule of things that we needed to do when we got home.
0: But those were chores. I'm talking about the millennial version of you need to go to piano lessons at 6am and then you're going to get academic tutoring so that you could prepare for your freaking SAT in 10 years and make it into Stanford on a full ride. And then you're going to go to tennis lessons with a private coach. And, and those types of things were.
1: Yeah. I think that that came from um, our generation. Um, If you want to say like you, you want to push your, your kids because Mm -hmm. we were, we had to figure things out for ourselves.
0: So you didn't have someone pushing you along, really, or no, they keeping were like, you accountable. You need to do this. That's a really good point. So do you feel like Gen X parents to millennials or Gen Zers? Maybe. Uh, do you feel like they they are overcompensating for the accountability that they wish they had? Maybe.
1: I think I don't know. Honestly, I don't. I don't know why kids these days even younger than you, mm-hmm. I'm talking about like my son's age. So what is he? Gen, is he Gen Z now? Yeah. No yeah. There are a lot of suicides because they are under pressure. I don't, I don't get that.
0: Like get academic that, pressure,
1: academic pressure. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that happens. Yeah. And I don't know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know if I answered your question, but to me, like, I, I, Sammy had a couple of classmates that um, committed suicide, and they were straight-A students, but apparently under pressure. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, you're doing great. Like, what is the pressure?
0: So, one of the second behaviors that we see with helicopter parents is that they jump into conflicts with their kids, roommates, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, and even bosses. You're nodding your head and somewhat half rolling your eyes. What do you think about that?
1: I think it's true. Yeah. And I don't know where that comes from, honestly. I I think that we, that the media in general or where you live, um, the people are afraid. I mean, I don't see kids playing outside that much anymore
0: well but i'm talking specifically about conflict Um, so we're not talking even about safety anymore we're talking about the fact that these parents of millennials are jumping into their children's conflicts to try to solve their conflict for them like oh your boss was mean to you i'm going to call him and write him a letter on your behalf do you uh, i i guess what are your thoughts on
1: I think in that case that you um, probably just wouldn't trust your child's um, abilities. Abilities, yeah. Yeah. Decision.
0: And that perfectly goes in with the third behavior, which is limiting the child's autonomy because – A lot of millennial kids believe that their parents are preventing them from making their own mistakes because they're so heavily controlled by their parents' decisions for them. That's on them. That's on who?
1: On whoever thinks that. The millennial? Yeah.
0: Because they could take every action. At this point, like myself, I'm 31. uh, What would the youngest millennial now be? If they were born in 96, the youngest millennial would be, oh, God. What is, that, is that 27? 26 or 27? No. By this point, I'm assuming that a 26 or 27 year old will be out of the house and has full say over uh, their own autonomy and whatever they want to do and what they don't want to do. And if parents are interfering to the degree that they feel like they they're not able to make their own decisions, then isn't like you said, it's kind of a a you problem. <laughs> well,
1: and. But that's just how I think.
0: Yeah. And I, don't have,
1: I have no idea if that's how I was raised or when I was raised or when I was born. Um, it's just, you know, if it's just my own therapy in general, mm-hmm. like, hey, you know what? You can fix this yourself. Yeah. But then the question is, whoever is raising you, are they enabling you to act this way? Mm-hmm. Or are they giving you the ability to figure this out? Mm. Does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense. And I just wonder, and this would be so hard to, I guess, measure or even try to study, but do you think that if, let's just assume Gen X is raising Gen Z, so we'll look at yeah. you because you're Gen X raising Sammy, who's Gen Z. If Gen X lacks self sufficiency um, or accountability because of their upbringing as latchkey kids, would that go along with your trickle down theory? Then
1: it always is going to be because I I speak me personally speak in a in a, in a general in a general way. Mm-hmm. So I know how. I mean, obviously, I experienced and you know ways that my parents raised me even when my dad was out of the house mm-hmm. i was self-sufficient i had to figure things out for myself. So did my brother mm-hmm. and i know that for I, I i can't speak for every person that was born in that um time frame mm-hmm. but that's what you know i i think i instilled in sammy like, oh, you know, you're having a hard time. You can talk about it mm-hmm. and I'll listen to you and I'm going to give you my advice. Um, That's where we are now. But like, this is on you. Yeah. You know, I like, literally, that's, you have to fix this on your own. I will be the safety net in case you fall. But.
0: Yeah. So-
1: and there, and there's other people that. You know, think differently. You know, we talked about this. If 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 somebody comes, when I came here, I um, met a lot of first generation Italians, Greeks, um, uh, Hispanic Mexicans, Colombians, and the mom was always home. The yeah, dad always worked. Was and, working, but we were the same age. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Having that dynamic is different than mine. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't know a lot of things that I was taught. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I think it's it's um, it's individualized for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going off track here.
0: <laughs> no, you're you're on track. Okay. So I forgot to mention while we were talking about Gen Z, okay. there's a couple personality traits that I think perfectly fit you. or Gen X, Uh, I meant to say Gen X, Gen X in general, one is that they're a little bit more cynical, and two is that they don't understand the positivity from the boomers and the millennials. How accurate is that?
1: You're going to have to rephrase that.
0: Okay. Gen X has a little bit more of a pessimistic view on life and they don't understand the types of people that wake up smiling and want to achieve, uh, I guess, a sense of happiness at their job. And they can't really wrap their head around uh, this whole positive vibes only and over positivity.
1: I don't know why you would label that to a specific era in which somebody was born.
0: Yeah, it doesn't speak for everybody from Gen X, but... No,
1: I, I mean, across the board.
0: No, I I know, I know. Okay. But I'm saying that I'm wondering if if a generation that had no parent, well, they had parents, but they didn't parent in the more traditional way, do you think that would have made people more cynical like why do you think that there's this stereotype of gen x being more cynical uh, and more blunt i guess and more direct than other generations
1: because we had to figure stuff out for ourselves Mm -hmm. you know we already found out what the answer is yeah Yeah, because we had to find it out on our own Mm -hmm. and then somebody else comes in and starts telling us like oh well it's going to be this way and we probably would be more of Are you fucking kidding me? I already figured this out on my own. Why the hell are you coming in like four hours later? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Why do you feel like some millennials are more offended by bluntness now and direct (laughs) communication? I
1: have no idea why millennials are so offended. I I don't. I think this is, I think it's silly. Mm -hmm. I You know, I refuse to do – if you're offended, I'm sorry that you're offended. I don't know when this happened. I don't know why this happened to me. It's just – it's mind-boggling. It is. It's it's, it's like why are you so upset Mm -hmm. that you have to go to school or work and, you know, you have to be there at 8 o'clock and that – You are mentally, you have a a, some sort of mental breakdown because you have to wake up at seven to get there by eight.
0: It does sound ridiculous, but that's that's what we're beginning to be characterized as, and that's why I always tell you I am embarrassed that I'm grouped into a category of millennials, people that are afraid to talk on the phone or don't answer the phone, and then they text the person back right away. When do you
1: think this happened, and why? You were were raised by boomers.
0: Yeah, and my dad never allowed me. I I shouldn't say he never allowed me to get offended, but he was very blunt. Thank God he was blunt in his communication and how he talked to me and disciplined me and punished me. Uh, There was no room for a, a mental breakdown about something ridiculous. He would be the person that would say, are you kidding me right now, Kayla? You're not having a mental breakdown. You're being a little shit. Yeah.
1: I don't know when that happened. Yeah. You know, I I, I don't. Mm-hmm. Seriously. My son is a, a Gen Z. Apparently, I don't give a shit what he is. He could be uh, a Gen W. Or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't care. But what I tell him is like, hey, you know what? This is life. And yeah. it's always going to be life.
0: It's always going to be hard. It's too. always going
1: to be hard. And the worst thing is if, like somebody's hovering over you, mm-hmm. that is the worst. And I don't know. I think it's more that everybody's afraid. Like, oh, I just want to make sure that they're safe. I mean, obviously, that you want to keep your um, your loved ones safe and your friends safe and your students safe.
0: But we're safer now than we ever have been.
1: But we're more crazy now.
0: We're more, yeah, we're more, we're safer now, but we are convinced that we are uh, constantly under threat.
1: Yeah. And here's the question. Where do you get that idea? Not like in general, like where do we get that idea that we're under threat? Is it the shows that we watch? Hmm. That's on TV, you know. Is it the movies that we see? Is it, like, what we hear is, like, oh, my gosh, this person's house got broken into. Now we have to, like, everybody thinks that they, you know, need to buy a gun. But then there's, like, oh, we need to, like, be careful of, like, who owns a gun. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, I, I don't know when it started. I don't know. When these things, I, I guess if we go back to the concept of political correctness, that's not even a term really anymore, but PC political correctness was, um, when was that? I feel
1: no, like I want to Google like it's, When you couldn't just like say what was on your mind and you know, what we said in our generation as like messing around with people or busting balls, busting chops, you said something and now you can't say anything anymore. Yeah. That's the other thing I wanted to bring up. It's like censorship. Oh,
0: yeah. Everything now is, and this goes along with the theory that, oh, I'm constantly under threat and I will have a mental breakdown even though my actual physical safety is completely intact and protected. We believe so strongly in the power of other people's thoughts that we claim as millennials, millennials, millennials are the only people I've heard say this, that me not speaking to you because of our ideological divide is an act of self-preservation. And you are threatening my right to exist if you present me with arguments or theories that I don't
1: like. That, that's, you know what? I get that.
0: How do you get that? That's well, insane.
1: Because you can, whatever comes to your mind... <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's like Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. think what you want.
0: I agree. Yeah. You could think whatever you want. Yes. I never and said that they're they not allowed to. I'm
1: making my point is that think whatever you want. In my opinion, don't shove it down my throat. Right. I think that this is a really messed up time <laughs> in, in the world. But there are times that our parents... Mm-hmm said the same thing. Like, wow, this is a really messed up time. Mm -hmm. And my grandparents said, wow, this is a really messed up time. Yeah. And you think about what actually happens through generations as we're talking about it. This is a messed up time. Yeah. It's really, it's weird. But it's also like you have to expect that.
0: It kind of comes with the territory Think about
1: if we are still around, if, you know. You know, the witnesses keep talking about the new order and Armageddon and like we're in the last days. So if we last 200 years mm-hmm. as a homo sapien sapien mm-hmm. race. Yes. What the hell do you think this world is going to look like in oh, 200 God. years? Yeah. I mean, and, but think about that. And then my dad always talked about this pendulum. You know, like you go back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, like a like a grandfather clock. Mm-hmm. If you cannot figure out how to express your feelings face to face and have a conversation, you are doomed. Oh when yeah. When that pendulum comes back down, which I, it will, do- and it's got to happen.
0: Yes. And that's
1: all we're teaching people is to, I'm upset. Get away from me. I'm canceling your ass. I'm blocking your ass. I'm running to my safe space. Yes, I'm going back downstairs in my parents' basement. (laughs) But eventually, you're going to have to come out. And you're going to not come out in that way. Sorry if I offended anybody. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) But you're going to have to eventually be able to look at you know someone face to face and have these conversations. Yeah. And that's what we're lacking.
0: And when that time comes with Pe- all of these people who literally seem to have no idea how to have a conversation anymore. They're they are fucked. totally fucked. I've talked to some people who, who literally talk for 12 minutes at a time and they don't even pause to, to ask you any questions to let you speak. They seem completely uninterested in your point of view and I feel like conversations are like a muscle. If you don't continue to have them face-to-face, not in messages or emails, but actually looking at the person's face, like we are right now. Your your intellect and your ability to to cultivate these really meaningful interpersonal relationships is going to atrophy the same way a muscle does.
1: It's already atrophying.
0: I know. I see yeah. it all the time yeah, for no. all of my beautiful okay. friends out there who refuse to well, come on okay. the podcast.
1: So I know that everybody knows that that you and I are in the same field.
0: Mm-hmm. And, Actually, they might not. Okay. Some people do. Dylan uh, works with adults with autism and intellectual disabilities, and he helps to kind of run and manage a, a day hab center for those adults. So yeah. yes, we're in the same field.
1: Okay. And I deal with a lot of crisis situations, mm-hmm. and I ask um, supervisors, teachers, BCBA's. I think very simple questions, and this is part of what I'm trying to get at is just even asking a question, like you threw an email right now. They're not asking, nobody's asking questions anymore. Yeah. And I see that in in the field that I am. So just, this is just an example. You know, I would ask a simple question of like, Hey, so-and-so, you know, this is how this person, you know, acted at the school or the facility and I would go to the, the BCPA or the teacher or the supervisor. Like, okay, wh- what happens at home when this, you know, when this happens? And I, I would know. say 90% say, I don't know. But I'm yeah. like, why wouldn't you ask, what do you do when this person goes and acts, goes into this type of crisis or reacts this way? What What happens at home? I don't know. I'm like, why can't you ask a very simple question? That's how it starts off with. Everybody listen or read the book Larry King's "You How to Talk to Anyone at Any Time." Don't talk. Ask a question.
0: I agree, and I teach my my college students this. I have a few um, in class little labs where someone will present, or including myself, someone will present a very controversial um, or maybe socially unacceptable viewpoint, and the audience is only allowed to ask questions. So they're not allowed to make any refutative points. And not to say that you, know, you could never say anything or never defend your own stance, but I think that's all we do now is we get defensive and we say, well, you're wrong, here's why I'm right. And we don't even take the time to try to understand where the other person is coming from. And I see that a lot in people I try to talk to. I couldn't even tell you the last time I was asked a question by someone I got into a heated discussion with. Nobody ever asks me uh, how I see things. It's all about like me asking the questions and then and then them maybe defending their standpoint, which makes a conversation really hard to have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've um, experienced that uh, lately. Mm-hmm. Um Everybody just kind of goes, you know, by the book, you know, stock.
0: I have a lot of
1: insight, you know, um, I have experience. Um, I've lived through a lot. And, you know, I would think I would be the perfect person to ask questions to. I think all of
0: us are the perfect people to ask questions to. I think that
1: I am. (laughs) I think you are, too. No, (laughs) we all are but are we, are we doing it? I don't think, um, we're, we're not doing it enough. Um, but I think it's, it's going to come back. And when we actually have to ask a question and then listen, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of people, um, that are not going to know, you know, what to do. And, you know, you and I talked about this, like when you have a conversation um, and you're trying to get information and you're just trying to like, hey, how was your day? You should not be doing anything else. You should not be on the computer yeah. like this whole like, oh, I'm listening, you know, while I wash the dishes. Like, no, mm-hmm. that's not a conversation. It's got to be face to face, eye to eye. You're not on your phone. Mm-hmm. You're not on the computer. You're not, you know, yeah. watching TV. I mean at least with you. I mean, you know, now it's the technology. I can just hit pause to the show that I'm watching and I listen. Mm-hmm. That's an in-depth conversation right there. You can't be doing anything else.
0: Yeah. And I think continued conversations are really important too. So people that are listening to this episode, you may notice that uh, I feel a lot more comfortable kind of getting into certain things with Dylan because me and Dylan have set the stage with each other. We've taken the time, Jesus, 10 years ago, where I ask more questions and I give you the floor to tell me everything about you and vice versa. And the reason I bring this up as we're on the topic of communication and as we wrap up, I get some comments sometimes. I think people want me to be this person that, you know, you see it on the YouTube videos, Kayla obliterates so-and-so or Kayla destroys ideology and, and whatever. And I think what the context lacking around that is you need to allow people to feel comfortable speaking to you to have the the conversations that me and Dylan are having right now. Could you like nobody would feel comfortable talking to me or Dylan if we jumped down their throat, trying to correct police or obliterate their thinking. And I think that's, what's kind of lost too. everybody just wants to stick to their, their point and make a point versus understand. Well,
1: Everybody's got to grow up sometime.
0: And on that note, thank you guys for tuning in today. If you have any requests for podcast guests or for my husband, Dylan, to join me in another episode, you can email me at any time at theangrybehavioranalyst at gmail.com. And we cannot wait to see you guys next time.
1: Ciao. <laughs>